Welcome to Stand in the Gap Today with your host, the Honorable Sam Rohrer, President of the American Pastors Network, addressing the most pressing issues impacting our economy, our homes, our churches, our culture, and our daily lives from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Stand in the Gap Today, transforming the culture one heart at a time. Well, from the day that Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command and ate of the fruit, you remember that? And then that brought the curse of sin into the very DNA of all humanity and creation. From that point, God foretold a divine plan of redemption, of which we talk about so much on this program. First recorded in Genesis 3.15, God informed Satan that one day he, God, would bring to pass the means by which redemption would come to mankind how the serpent's head would be crushed, and the heel of this Redeemer, we know now the Messiah, would be bruised. These recorded words in Scripture of future events are known as prophecy. And since that day 6,000 years ago, mankind has looked ahead to that which would come. They looked back to that which was promised and fulfilled, and then they look around, just like we do today. We look around as to how do we make sense of what we see in order that we can best think and live and plan? Well, that was true of Adam and Enoch and Noah. And it was true of Abraham, who was promised a future, a family, and a nation through which this Redeemer would come and bless the whole world. And based on that prophecy to Abraham, he began to look ahead to that which would come, as is told to us in Hebrews 11.11, where Scripture records, for Abraham looked obviously forward, looked ahead to a city which hath its foundations, whose maker and builder is God. Old Testament saints looked ahead. We know that from the reading of the Old Testament. Old Testament prophets recorded that which had come and would come. The disciples of Jesus' day, they also wanted to know what was next. And when Jesus was about to depart, they wanted to know, as in Matthew 24 and elsewhere, the evidence or the observable signs of the times that would indicate the timing of Christ's second coming. And then Jesus himself, responding to this desire, told them, and by implication there clearly, that we're not to be ignorant of the times and what is to come. Why? So that we don't walk in darkness as others do, who have no hope. We're different. We should be. Jesus said expressly in Matthew 24, 6, not to be perplexed when we see major perilous signs of the times occur because, he said, these events simply must come to pass. And later, the Apostle Paul reassured the church at Thessalonica and elsewhere that knowing the comprehensive and the certainty of things to come, we are to comfort one another. And that's the foundational purpose for providing knowledge and comfort that I want to invite in today for the first time to stand in the gap today, Pastor Carl Brogy. Pastor Carl Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. He's pastored the church for several thousand people, I believe, there for nearly 30 years, and father of five. He also hosts his own radio program entitled Search the Scriptures. And Pastor Brogy is actually in the middle of a series of sermons on prophecy, the end times, Israel, and all that how we see around us is fitting into what the Bible says. And I've been listening to those, and I was prompted of the Lord to invite him to come on this program to share some of this emphasis. And the title I've taken for today's program is this, Comforting Words in Days of Confusion, Israel, Prophecy, and the Rapture. And we're going to touch on all of those and briefly just really touch on them today. But anyways, with that, Pastor Carl Brogy, thanks for being with me today. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Sam. I'm honored to be invited on your program today. 
Brother Carl, you're currently in the midst. This is more of a personal question right now. You're going about 15 weeks or so. Your sermons are about an hour plus in length. They're longer than normal, but boy, I'm telling you, I have enjoyed them. And ladies and gentlemen, you can find all of them at their website, communitybiblechurch.us. But that being the case, here's just, I guess, a personal question for you. What motivated you to actually engage in this lengthy emphasis on prophecy? What are you hoping accomplished in your congregation by going through extensively comprehensive understanding of prophecy? Well, it's a, it's a fair and great question. Obviously, any pastor who's committed to preaching the whole counsel of God, and that's what Paul said when he met the Ephesian elders. He said, I didn't shrink from declaring to you uh, the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of Scripture. Every, anything and everything that he said that was profitable in that chapter in X 20. And so that would include certainly Bible prophecy. And typically I preach through entire books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and those can be found at searchthescriptures.org. Uh, but with that said, if you're going to preach through entire books, it's impossible not to address the subject of prophecy. About a third of the Bible, some would say, less, but there are some passages that, you know, are found in two places, but approximately a third of the Bible is prophetic in nature, and a little bit over half of the prophecies that God has given have yet to be fulfilled. And so if you're just going to teach through God's Word, you're going to hit these subjects. And every once in a while, uh, I want to give a kind of a concerted effort at helping especially new people, because we, we grow, by God's grace, our church largely by conversion, and even people who come as believers, for the most part, they've not heard Bible prophecy addressed or spoken of, and so every once in a while I'll do a special series, so I'm doing a—I think it's going to go 15 weeks, it might go 20, but it's on the scope of prophecy uh, from the catching up the Church all the way into eternity future. And that's fantastic, and we'll get into more of that in the next segment. We'll talk about why prophecy is not talked about more, but just from a 10,000-foot level here, just to make sure we're on the same page with our listeners, define prophecy and what is meant when we say biblical prophecy. Define that, please, for us so that we establish that basis as we go into the program. Yeah, so prophecy is basically God writing history before it happens. And he does that through Scripture. It's one of the internal proofs by which we know the Bible is the only book God wrote. There are no futuristic events that God spoke of in advance in the Quran because he didn't inspire that. There's no prophecy in the Book of Mormon. There's no prophecy in the Upanishads. What makes the Bible unique is it tells the future before it happens. And so, like when Moses, of course, gave the test of a true prophet in Deuteronomy 18, if I were claiming to be a prophet and I said, well, let me tell you what's going to happen a thousand years from now, well, you couldn't test it. How would I know whether or not it's true? Because I won't be around in a thousand years. So he said they had to tell a short-range prophecy, and that would lend credence to their future-range prophecies. And you see that pattern all the way through Scripture, whether it's a, a prophet who has a book that, you know, he follows his name, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, or maybe uh, lesser-known prophets, but they would tell both short- and long-range prophecies, and that affirmed that they were indeed a prophet of God. And so God, among other things, put prophecy in the Scripture 
to verify that this is his book. If I said to you 300 years from now, your great-great-great-great-grandson is going to cross Highway 280, get hit by a blue pickup truck, license plate number 227998, I made that prediction and it came true, you'd say that's incredible. And it is incredible, and Pastor Carl Brogy is my guest today. Our theme today is this, comforting words in days of confusion, Israel, prophecy, and the rapture. We're looking at prophecy, an overview program today. We'll come back. We'll talk about prophecy and its purpose. For years, faithful Christians formed nonprofit foundations or trusts to preserve their ability to generously give to their favorite causes or ministries, even after their death. The problem? Professional managers, pressure from left-wing agendas, and even family members with opposing views hijacked the original donor intent. This is sad, but true. But this subversion of purpose can be prevented. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr of the American Pastors Network, and I'm glad to recommend Capstone Legacy Foundation in Wayne, Pennsylvania, an experienced and capable Christian community foundation. Established to help you set up a ministry, a giving structure guaranteed not to be hijacked, or a place you can donate cash or non-cash assets like stocks, bonds, or property, Capstone's designed to help you achieve immediate tax savings and give you needed time to decide how to prayerfully allocate your giving. Contact Capstone at 610-688-8890 or visit them at capstonelegacy.org. Who do you really serve? Joshua's challenge to God's people revealed that many people bowed down to other gods, even among those who claimed to know the name of the Lord. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. In ancient Israel, Joshua challenged the Jewish people to serve the Lord. And why was this needed? Well, despite more than 40 years of freedom from Egyptian slavery, many evidently continued to privately serve the idols of their past. In Joshua 24:15, Joshua chose to lead by example by proclaiming, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Now, what about you? Despite the influence of modern idols, Will you uphold following the Lord in your home? Don't let the distractions of this world turn your eyes from the one who has changed you. May our response be as the people told Joshua, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Discover more at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. Racism, it's rooted in sin, not skin. This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the award-winning family magazine, Answers. Critical race theory is sweeping the West. It teaches that what's on the outside, our shade of skin, is really what matters. Those with light skin just can't help being racist, and those with dark skin can't be racist. But racism isn't ultimately about skin shade. It's about our sinful hearts. Because all people have sinned, as the Bible teaches. Anyone can be racist. Prejudice and partiality aren't sins that only some people can commit. Anyone can sin against the Lord and people in this way. Every person has the same ultimate problem, sin. And we all have the same ultimate solution, the Lord Jesus, who died in our place and forgives all who repent. There's so much more to discover from God's Word. Get answers when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at StandInTheGapRadio.com. In the book of Revelation, 
chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. I'm just going to read those three verses because it ties right into what we're talking about here today. My guest, Pastor Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Talking about prophecy today and giving an overview, really, on this program so you can get an understanding of what it is, why it is, and how we should respond to what it is. So in that regard, here are the first three verses of Revelation. It says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near, or as the King James says, at hand. So, Carl, in the last segment, you shared a little bit from why you're embarking on the 15, 20-week series on prophecy. And from the biblical perspective now, I'd like for you, if you could, lay out the foundation for the purpose for prophecy. You described it a little bit in the last segment, but in the verse that I just read, it says that there are blessings that come for those who read, those who hear, and those who keep prophecy what is written. Expand upon that, perhaps, if you want, at least, but the purpose for God's people to know prophecy, and along with that, the pulpits to preach prophecy. Well, you know, Revelation, obviously, is a pretty amazing book, because it's the only book in the Bible, Sam, that has a challenge that basically says, read me, I'm special. If you read me, you'll receive a special blessing. And there are certainly many admonitions, you know, found in Scripture as to why you should read the book, the Holy Scripture, but this one is a very pointed one. And so God tells us to read prophecy, and I think for a number of reasons. Number one, it it motivates us to live a holy life. When when Peter speaks of the day of the Lord, that time frame that begins after the rapture, goes all the way through the millennial reign of the Messiah, and at the end of the a day of the Lord, he destroys the heavens and the earth, creates new ones, and says, this is going to happen. What sort of people ought you to be living a godly life? And so prophecy, one, motivates us. It spurs us to live a godly life. And it also gives us perspective, because the secularist believes history is circular. God's Word teaches it's linear. We're on a progression. There's a clear starting point, something that they deny through the evolutionary process. And there's a clear ending point, and we'll move into the next age. And so it gives us perspective, and it gives us hope so that we're not confused over how discombobulated the world is. And so people need that. They need a sense of hope and a sense of perspective. And that's what the cults do. They, they put the carrot out there, but it's a false hope, and we who have the true hope need to preach it. Okay, Carl, did you say three? I wrote down two. Prophecy should motivate us to live a holy life. Secondly, gives us a perspective, not circular, but linear. Did you give a third one? Well, no, but uh, there's okay. many I could give. But a third one is it should certainly motivate us towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission. There's a great commandment to love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And the overflow of the Great Commandment is the Great Commission. As you go, make converts or disciples of all peoples. And so, sadly, today, the average Christian no longer shares his faith. He doesn't really see his next-door neighbor, the fellow he works with at school or at work, as headed 
towards an eternity without the living God if he doesn't know Christ as his Savior. So his lips are shut. Prophecy changes that. When you say, no, there's a real future for both the believer and the unbeliever, and just as God literally fulfilled the prophecies for the first coming, he's going to literally fulfill these future prophecies right down to a place of eternal retribution called hell. And that should motivate us to do what Christ commanded us to do. Uh, It helps, again, with perspective. It sure does. It does in my mind. But that leads to the logical question. Our listeners, because we do a lot on the prophetical emphasis here, mostly tied into Israel, and we'll talk about that, how you can't separate prophecy from Israel, the way the Bible puts it together. But we also know, I have George Barn on this program a lot. In his research, he would indicate, say that, lo and behold, you know, less than 10% of the pulpits are preaching anything about prophecy. And yet everything you described, to me, sounds like it's every reason why it ought to be preached. Why do you believe there are so few pulpits and or pastors that are preaching anything about prophecies in these days? Well, I don't know that there's any one reason, but certainly there's a lot of pastors who have been discouraged by these charlatans, these zealots, these date setters, uh, these crazies, so to speak, and they're afraid if they speak in Bible prophecy that they will be coupled in with them. Well, that's not a reason not to obey God. God commands us to preach the whole counsel of Scripture. So, yes, we can be misunderstood, but I think when you address those issues directly and say, hey, look, this has always happened, there's always been date setters, etc., and most of that which has been done has been done by unbelievers and cults. I think another reason is, sadly, a lot of pastors go to seminaries where the subject of end times eschatology is no longer addressed. Uh, one of my profs at Dallas Seminary, Dr. Howard Hendricks, used to always say, you cannot impart that which you do not possess. And so uh, one of the distinctives, at least back then, of Dallas Seminary was to train and equip men to preach prophetically God's Word. And some guys, too, sadly, are unwilling to do the hard work. You don't even have to go to seminary. I would say that it's probably an accurate number to say that 70% of the pastors in America have never been to seminary. But that doesn't mean they can't teach a whole council of Scripture. But it is hard work, and a lot of pastors are killing themselves doing the wrong things. Uh, The uh, church has created a job description for them that's not even biblical, and so the time they need to prepare God's Word in a weekly basis, oh, they do it Saturday night for a few minutes when it's a major part of their job description, apart from prayer, person, evangelism, it's the preparation of the Word of God. And that's hard work, and some guys are unwilling to do it. And they've turned the pastor into a fluffy, cushy kind of job, and that's sad when that happens because the people suffer. They sure do, yet the people we know from our listeners across the country, I mean, many are looking for bold and clear preaching, but we find it is hard to find some of that reasons you just gave. Let's go into this next question as we talk about prophecy. Dates. Yeah, we know the problem with those who have set dates in the past, except the dates that God sets. We're not in that business of setting dates. Yet, when we look at the nation of Israel, and this just connect here, prophecy in Israel, prophecy in the Jews, can they be separated, number one? Number two, is there something, though, about timing that is triggered perhaps by Israel when Israel came together as a nation in 1948. If so, what? What began? Did that start a clock, more or less? Explain that, please. 
Well, it's a great question, because just as God used Israel to bring about the first coming of Christ, God's Word is clear He's going to use the nation of Israel to bring about the second coming of Christ. And sadly, because of Reformed theology, and there's aspects of Reformed theology that every true born-again believer would totally embrace, the substitutionary atonement, etc., but there are aspects that in their doctrine of end times, they believe that the church is the new Israel, that the church has replaced Israel. And that's just erroneous. It really comes out of uh, Roman Catholicism and some of these guys, Calvin, Luther, who were coming out of that system of theology. And while they embraced a lot of true things, they carried some error with them. And certainly the church has not replaced Israel. And so God says... Uh, both through Moses and Jesus, that he's going to spread the Jews to the four corners of the earth, but in the latter times, and that is a term that is used to refer to that very last time frame before the Messiah returns, he'll gather the Jewish people into the land. And he did that, you know, in 1890, when we had some demographics, there's approximately 20,000 Jewish people living in Israel. When they became a nation on May the 14th, 1948, there was 600,000 Jews. Today there's about 7 million Jews. There's only about 12.5 to 15 million, depending on whose numbers you use, uh, Jews on the whole planet. And yet this small group of people who live in a small portion of the world about the size of Delaware are going to be used of God to bring the Messiah back. In fact, Jesus said he cannot come back until the Jewish people say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Israel becoming an established nation was an important event. It, uh, Dr. Walbert, I was having lunch with him one day. He's been in heaven now for many years. And, and he said when, when Israel became a nation, he said it was like I, I, I went to sleep at night, but I couldn't close my eyes. And I'll never forget him saying that. It, it was such a an amazing miracle that this people who had been spread across the world, God has brought back, and he continues to bring them back. So they are the index to the return of Christ. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Brother Carl, that brings us right up here to the break. In the next segment, right after this break here, we're going to move based on what we just talked about. Talked about the definition of prophecy. We talked about the blessings that come from reading it, hearing it, obeying it, connection to Israel, God's plan of redemption. God's not done with Israel. Clock started 1948 and the regathering in particular. We come back, we're going to talk about and lay out some chronology. I'm going to ask Dr. Carl Brogy, our guest, to lay out a chronology of prophecy from the beginning to the time of Christ, from the time of Christ to where we are now, and then also what will come ahead of us. I think all of this will be wonderfully exciting. Are you searching for an alternative to mainstream media news? Are you tired of the liberal bias, secular narrative, and politically correct reporting that dominates the networks? It's time to change the dial and tune in to Stand in the Gap today. Our hosts address the cultural issues with a decidedly Christian worldview perspective. And our guests present unique insights into today's challenges with experience and wisdom taken from the pages of Scripture and an understanding of the Constitution. We want you to understand the times in which we live 
so you can witness and engage your family and friends with information that will make sense out of the nonsense surrounding us. It's time to turn off the lies and propaganda and turn on the truth. To listen to Stand in the Gap today or any of our other programs, visit our website at standinthegapmedia.org or download our app by searching for it in your app store under Stand in the Gap. When we look around, we can see the devil at work, sure. But more powerfully, we can see our great God at work, and He's moving His plan of redemption ahead right on time. God's Spirit's moving in the hearts of His people, too. Do you sense His hand? If so, we've got a job to do. So let's pray. Let's be truth-tellers. Let's help lead people to a genuine return to God. Only true revival can bring peace in times of war and God's blessings in times of judgment. Visit our website at StandInTheGapRadio.com or search on Amazon for our powerful tools specifically designed to equip believers for these days. Order our Return to God Journey Guide. Designed for personal training or within small groups or Sunday school classes, this small booklet is made to coordinate with our 11 Principles for National Renewal Stand in the Gap TV series. Learn more about the Return to God Journey Guide by going to StandInTheGapRadio.com or search for it on Amazon. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today, discussing the pressing issues facing our culture from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Now let's rejoin our host. Well, if you're just joining us at our midpoint in the program, thanks for being with us today. Our special guest is Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. First time he's been with us, and I know that if you've been listening so far, you have enjoyed his clarity in presentation, and our focus today is really on that matter of prophecy. We talk a lot about it on this program, but I have just been really moved of God that we need to do more because there has never been a time when we have seen and can witness what the Scripture talks about coming to such fast fruition as we are today. Now, that's just not for information's sake. That is a motivational sake. It should cause us to do something. Well, understanding it is partly why we're trying to go through this program today. And again, this is an oversight program. We'll take and build out, Lord's willing, further pieces of these things that we identify. But Pastor Brogy's site is communitybiblechurch.us, and I believe, um, Brother Carl, searchthescriptures.com, or is that what it is, or what is that? Searchthescriptures.org. .org. .org. Okay, searchthescriptures.org, you'll find other information relative to all of this on there. Now, that being the case, let me jump back into this, because biblical prophecy— Literally, Pastor Brogy gave a definition of it, but a literal definition is it's a discourse or a narrative emanating from divine inspiration and declaring, and this is key, the purposes of God. Prophecy talks about the purposes of God. And as recorded in the New Testament, prophecy is the prediction of events relating to Christ's kingdom and its speedy triumph of which Jesus would not have us to be ignorant, but alert knowledgeable, and faith-strengthening in the reasons that you heard Brother Carl share just a little bit ago. Motivate us to live a holy life. Give us a perspective, not a world perspective, but a biblical worldview perspective. It should motivate us to fulfill the Great Commission. Those are all important things. So what's the chronology of fulfilled prophecy and yet-to-be-fulfilled prophecy about which we are not 
to be ignorant, as the Apostle Paul specifically used those words in his address to the Thessalonian church. Carl, before you give an overview of fulfilled prophecy, and I want you to do that from Genesis 3.15 to Christ's first coming, answer this question first before you go into that, and that is this. You made a reference earlier to a faulty circular view of prophecy as compared to a proper linear view of prophecy. And I'm going to use that word chronology. Chronological, I think, would be linear. What is that? Why is that important that we understand the chronological layout of prophecy? Well, the the unbeliever and the liberal theologian wants us to believe that this world has been going on for millions, potentially billions of years, with no clear beginning and no clear end. And things just cyclically move through time, through an evolutionary process. Whereas God's Word is very clear, there's a definitive beginning and there's a definitive end with each aspect of God's plan. And so the liberal denies that, and so he has no reference points as to where we are in history. And this is why theistic evolution uh, that some have proposed as alternatives that Christians can brace gladly. You know, you had Tim Keller in his book 20 years ago, Reasons for God, and he said, well, theistic evolution is a viable option for the Christian. No, it's not, because it denies the historicity of God's Word in its authority. And so, uh, again, you know, God, God gives us a, the big perspective, and we don't want to miss that. That is great. Okay, let's move into this now. And this is an impossibility, but I think you can do it. <laughs> From Genesis 3.15, I cited that. God gave an emphasis that said the serpent's head was going to be bruised and the Redeemer's heel would be bruised, crushed and bruised. Put that around there. But nonetheless, from that time until Christ came, can you give an overview of the chronology of the key events of God's plan and redemption in that period of time? Yes. Yeah, so he makes a promise of the Savior. God created man with a free will. Man chose to disobey God. We're not victims. We're participants with Adam. We sinned in with Adam. And so sin entered in the world and with it death. And so God makes the promise in the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, Genesis 3.15, he'll send a Savior. And he begins to unfold that, and he narrows the focus through Abraham, narrows it further through uh, the tribe of Judah, the people of Israel, through whom the Messiah will come. And in fact, he, he pinpoints it in one of the great prophecies of Scripture, a mathematical prophecy, the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. And he speaks of a decree that will go out to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then he gives the number of years, 483 years, by which we can expect the Messiah to come. Messiah came, the Jews rejected Jesus for the most part, he came to his own, his own received him not. And so right now we are in the church age. We're between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, and God is building this church. The next great event will be the catching up of the church. The word rapture, harpazo, means to be caught up, and it comes from Latin. And so some people say, well, the rapture is not in the Bible. Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible, and the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but, but the catching up the, of the church is. And when that happens, our period of time will unfold upon the earth known as the Great Tribulation Period. It's the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. The Jews are going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He'll use 144,000 
evangelists slash missionaries. They'll use two witnesses. They'll use even an angel of God to preach the gospel. And this gospel, the kingdom, shall go to the whole world. The Great Commission will be fulfilled during the time of the Great Tribulation period. And then the end, the return of Jesus to the earth will come. So first he comes for the church. And when we're in heaven, we're judged as believers and rewarded accordingly to our faithfulness and dependence on God. And on the earth, the Great Tribulation period unfolds. At the end of the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, Jesus literally comes, sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. Again, people spiritualize the Bible, but there'll be literally a river that will flow from the Temple Mount all the way to the Dead Sea. If you've been there before, you'll be able to fish in the Dead Sea. It's going to be a miracle, and all these prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in relation to Israel, etc., will literally be fulfilled. Jesus will then rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. The devil will be locked up, have no ability to tempt people. And yet tribulation saints who uh, are survived the Great Tribulation will be able to reproduce and have children, and the time will be protracted for a thousand years, and at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be loose, which will really show the fallenness of man in some respects. He'll tempt some people to go against God's Messiah who's been ruling on the earth. He'll be put down a new heaven and a new earth. This planet, this universe is going to be gone. God's going to start brand new. And the place where our loved ones are, the new Jerusalem, that place will literally physically actually come down and sit on a brand new earth. It will become the capital city, so to speak, of what we typically refer to as heaven. That's the broad sweep. And that is a fantastic broad sweep. Let me come and ask you this. Let's go back now to the time in which we live now. When Christ ascended, after the resurrection, and he ascended, he says, as you see me go, so I will come. So in that period of time, until he comes back again, uh, just like your thoughts on this, there are jobs, obligations, duties that all the participants are to be doing right now. For instance, the church, Israel, the Godhead. I mean, everybody has a job to do in this period of time called the church age. Could you just summarize what those duties and obligations are? What's God the Father doing right now? What's Jesus doing right now, as an example? Well, certainly Christ is interceding on our behalf, and uh, we speak of his intercessory ministry. Uh, The Spirit of God indwells every believer. He's God's down payment. God's earnest. He'll live in us forever, the Bible teaches. Uh, he'll be with you forever, Jesus said, and, that, and it's a pro- he's a promise that what God began, he'll complete. And we are the one—we are dependent upon him to fulfill the plans and purposes that he has for us. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, but we're saved onto or to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God— has a wonderful plan for each of our lives, and our responsibility is to walk with the Lord, to allow the Spirit of God to fill us. We're we're not grieving Him through uh, known sin. We're not quenching Him in an unwillingness to do what He calls us to do. We're walking in dependence upon Him. We're sowing to the Spirit. So four commands, don't grieve, don't quench, walk by the Spirit, sow to the Spirit. And as we do that within a local church, God fulfills the purpose that he has for us. There are no independent Christians in the New Testament. Every born-again, Bible-believing Christian is to be a part of a New Testament local church, because we need each other. No one person has all the spiritual gifts, 
And all of those gifts working together functions in a way that the body can grow up in health and we can reach the maturity that God wants us to reach and to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has for our lives. And and so, um, you know, God is right now building this church, and those of us who are members of the universal body of Christ need to be a member, so to speak, of a local expression of that, of a New Testament church, where that church in turn is involved in winning people to the Savior, helping them to grow and develop, and then in turn to find their spiritual gifts and abilities so that they can serve the body of Christ in the world at large as witnesses to Jesus for the glory of God. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a believer, you are a part of the Bride of Christ the church in this church age. It's 1900 years. Israel was dispersed. They've now been gathered together. The clock is beginning to tick. Things are changing in this transition period. And that brings us soon to the end of the church age, then the rapture, then the tribulation. We come back. We're going to talk about that aspects of that that should give us real comfort. All across America, parents find themselves considering whether homeschooling might be a viable option for their children during this time of COVID lockdowns and mask mandates. As a homeschooling mom, I'd like to tell you why BJU Press offers you the support and materials you need to give your child a well-rounded education. BJU Press approaches each subject from a biblical worldview perspective. God and His Word aren't just an add-on in Bible class. Rather, our amazing, all-powerful, creative, majestic God is present not only in science and history, but in English, math, reading, music, art, and more. Your children will be challenged and encouraged to seek Him with all their hearts while learning and growing in wisdom and knowledge. And isn't that what we want for them? Whether you prefer a traditional textbook education, the flexibility of online learning, or a mix-and-match approach, BJU Press has what you need. Visit their website at bjupresshomeschool.com. That's bjupresshomeschool.com. This is why we shouldn't lead with racism. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Last week, President Biden called the recent killings of Muslim men in New Mexico hateful attacks, implying they were hate crimes against the Muslim community. Less subtly, the mayor of Albuquerque said, violence against members of our community based on race or religion will not be tolerated. But then the police arrested a Muslim man who, according to MBR, frequented the same mosque as his victims, though he was a Sunni and three of his victims Shia. See, this is what happens in a culture that's infected by a critical theory mood. Reduce everything to sex, power, and race, and as the adage goes, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Assuming racism without facts provokes suspicion among groups, keeps us from seeing others in God's image. And in the end, people become judged by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character, or even worse, the content of their character is assumed because of the color of their skin. We can do better. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at standinthegapradio.com. Well, as we move into our final segment now, we often call it our solution segment, kind of wrap up and apply that which we've learned in the program. And again, I titled this program, Comforting Words in Days of Confusion. Clearly, we're living in days of confusion. I think we all know that. Comforting words don't come from just nice words. Comforting words come from truth, and that is to focus on prophecy today. It's truth, biblical truth, that Scripture gives us for the purpose of, well, not being confused and not walking in darkness like those around us. 
So since reading, hearing, and keeping the Word of God, the prophecy of this book, Revelation, we just read that earlier, is a command which, in all those cases, brings blessing, we should want to do it, right? Who does not want to be blessed by God, right? I mean, we all want to be blessed by God. Well, since such verses as 1 Thessalonians, which says about knowing of, for instance, the rapture of the church and the unfolding events that come about following that, and that's what our special guest, Dr. Carl Brogy, enunciated in the last segment, the unfolding events that are coming ahead of us following the rapture into the tribulation, a very troublesome time. Well, all right, Paul says, be aware of these things. And the point he's making there is that knowing these things about the rapture, in particular, believers, he's talking to the folks there in Thessalonica, wherefore comfort one another with these words in these days. Well, that's for us too. Then it should be knowledge that as individuals, we should be motivated to not only know these prophetical events and all that God lays out, not just for our own benefit, but that of our families and our friends, our church family, and frankly, the unsaved as well. Comfort one another. All right, Carl, so here's how we want to conclude this. Can you summarize now the prophetical events? Again, you've already identified it, so you don't have to go into detail too much, but yet to unfold regarding the second coming of Christ, the rapture, and then lay that out again so we have what is before us. Just go there first, then I'll come back and ask you another question. Uh, the, the next great event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the Church. And so when we think of the return of Christ, it really unfolds in two parts. There's the catching up of the Church. That's what Paul speaks of. We don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or those who have died so that you don't have to grieve like the rest who have no hope. The church at Thessalonica didn't question that they would be bodily raised. They knew that. Moses taught it. Daniel affirmed it. Job uh, alluded to it. And, and yet what they didn't understand was the order of events as to how they would unfold and as to whether some of their loved ones, if they had died before the return of Jesus, that they would experience and enjoy the coming kingdom. And what I find interesting, by the way, going back to our first segment, is Paul was only in Thessalonica for three weeks. And Bible prophecy was important enough to them that he addressed it, and he goes back to some of the things he had already said. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that's the confession of every true believer, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to live is Christ. To die is not a loss, it's a gain. So the moment I die, the person inside this physical body goes home to be with Jesus. So he'll bring back with him, departed saints, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, and to help them to see that their loved ones will be a part of God's future plan, that they won't miss some of these future events. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is what Jesus said. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am in heaven, that's where we'll be. Uh, This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have died or fallen asleep, because Christ will come from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will come out of the grave first, and then those of us who are alive will meet them in the air. There will be a great reunion. So they'll be a part of these coming events. That's called the rapture. We'll all be caught up, harpazo, in Greek. When we are caught up in heaven, there will be the judgment of the just. 
we will be judged in heaven, not to see if we get there. Uh, one moment after we die, we're either in heaven or hell, but there is a judgment for the saved to determine how God will reward us for the work that he did through us. We'll enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the next event after that seven-year period on the earth, known as the Great Tribulation, Jesus will literally come back to the earth. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That speaks to the future kingdom. The concept of the kingdom is an Old Testament concept. The length that it's a thousand years is revealed in the New Testament. Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years upon the earth. Satan is bound during that time. The end of the thousand years, he's loose. Um, There is the judgment of all the lost people of all time at the great white throne judgment. Uh, The current heaven and earth are gone at that point. When that judgment unfolds, God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and we walk into eternity future. So that's the broad scheme of things. And that is great comfort for all who believe. Now, we only have just a couple minutes left. You're just going to be able to just answer. can't go into detail. But there are many who are saying today, well, you know, the church is going to go through that tribulation period. And we're talking about it. I've had many discussions with many good-meaning people to say, no, no, that's got to be that way. Why, in simple terms, does the Bible teach that the bride of Christ, the church age, those saved between the time of Christ to the time of the rapture, why they are not scheduled and why we will not go through the tribulation period? Well, if you interpret prophecy in the same way that God fulfilled prophecy in the past, then you apply what we call the plain hermeneutic, which just the, the, the plain reading of Scripture. And when you just simply read it for what it says, you can come to no other conclusion but a pre-tribulational rapture. For instance, when the thousand years are completed, John writes, Satan will be released from the prison. He'll come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And he'll try to get them to go against God's Christ, who's been ruling on the earth, Jesus, for a thousand years. How is that possible if there's a post-tribulational rapture? Because if we are here through the tribulation, we're caught up, given resurrection bodies, come back and make a U-turn, and rule on the earth for a thousand years, our bodies will be like Christ, we will not be able to sin, and there will be no one for Satan to deceive. But if the church is caught up, there are saints saved during the tribulation, Jesus comes back and those who survive enter the tribulation are able to have children. Some of their children, because God has no grandchildren, will not receive Christ, and those will be the ones Satan tempts. So you end up having to just spiritualize Scripture, write it off as not being true and accurate to come to a post-tribulational point of view. All right. And boy, we could go deeper, and ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) the Lord willing, if Pastor Carl Brogy is willing to do so, I'd like to have him back, and we want to go into some further detail and build out some of these fundamental questions, because does it make a difference what you believe about these things? The answer is absolutely yes, and I'm just going to put in here my own thoughts. Some say, well, you know what, if you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, that just makes you sit on your hands and not do anything. I don't say just the opposite. If I really believe in the rapture before the tribulation and that those who don't trust Christ now are going to go through the worst time possible on earth, my motivation is increased to be living holy and doing the things that Pastor Brogy said knowing prophecy should do. So 
practical, so good. Thank you, Pastor Carl Brogy, for being with us today. Fantastic. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us. And Lord willing, we'll be back here tomorrow. And I think we'll have an important program. Leo Homan will be my guest. Significant information that we're going to share, basically about the global government and things that are happening, underpinning things you need to know. We'll talk about that tomorrow. If you like today's program, tell a friend. You'll also want to hear Stand in the Gap Weekend and watch the nationally syndicated Stand in the Gap TV program. We present the news of the day truthfully, carefully, and consistently from a biblical worldview and constitutional perspective. If you're hungry for the truth, visit StandInTheGapMedia.org to find all our programs and the stations that carry them. While you're there, be sure to download our free app and support this ministry with your best financial gift. Then join us again right here Monday through Friday for another program of Stand in the Gap Today.